Right. Good morning, Three Circle Church and all of our campuses joining us right now and those joining us online. Happy Mother's Day weekend to everyone, to all of you who that would apply to today. Uh, so grateful. I, I am grateful. I had strong ladies in my life growing up. I am married to a wonderful woman who is the best mama I've ever seen, my wife Nan. And then I grew up with a great mother, uh, a great grandma, and a great great grandma. Okay. And so, uh, I was so blessed to have those ladies in my life. They didn't let me get away with anything. Okay. And they loved me and prayed for me. And, uh, I'm just so grateful. So the heritage of godly ladies, uh, is unbelievable. And what a gift to the church and to the world. Each one of you are. So today we're going to continue our series in Gideon and we're going to see what God has to say to us today. So Gideon, uh, is this ancient guy known as a judge, not a judge in the judicial sense. There's a whole book in your Bible dedicated to this group of people, men and women who God raised up to lead Israel, his people forward. Now, why did they need help? Well, because when they left uh, Egypt during the Exodus, their instructions were you go into the promised land and take every inch of it. But they stopped about halfway through because they ran into a very intimidating army known as the Midianites. The Midianites were on the cutting edge of military equipment during that time. They had come up with some iron equipment. No one else knew how to use iron yet and melt it down and turn it into weaponry, but they did. And this scared the Israelites, even though the Israelites had been told that they would win every battle. They were given that guarantee, like a blank military check. You win every battle if you fight, and trust me. But they stopped, and they retreated up into the hills instead of advancing, and this Midianite army who worshipped Baal, a false god, how many of you know when you retreat from a bully, does the bully leave you alone? No. They keep coming, and they did. So when we pick up this story with Gideon, the Midianites are pillaging the Israelites. The Midianites are stealing their food. They're bullying them. And God raises up a normal guy. And we love Gideon because he's like us. He's a coward at times. He, uh, he's not completely obedient all the time. Uh, he's insecure. I'm sure none of you deal with that. He, he's anxious. He's all of those things. And so we can see a lot of Gideon in us. But Gideon's not the most important part of this story. Gideon is the backdrop to the story of God. And we're using Gideon's story to learn about God because God never changes. And the way he interacts with Gideon and his story is the way he's going to interact with our stories. So we have seen that God says, Gideon, you're my man. And Gideon says, like many of us would, I think you got the wrong man. And God uses him anyway. He says, no, you are. You're going to be the one to lead Israel. You're going to defeat Midian, the baddest army in the land. But to get there, to get you ready, some things have to happen. The first thing he had to do is go home and tear down the altars that had been built to Baal, the false god. And he did that at night, but he did it. And he passed that first test. And then Gideon got insecure. Last week we saw that he did this wacky kind of fleece thing. He prays with a fleece and he's wanting God to do all these miracles and things. And we learned that that's not the way we, we don't have to do that when we pray. We can just go straight to God. But we saw something about God again, that doesn't change. God is patient, isn't he? And instead of getting upset with Gideon, he, he, he meets Gideon where he is and he walks Gideon through it. And that is so true. How many of you have seen God do that in your life at all of our campuses? Just raise your hand. If you've experienced the patience of God in your own life, some of you, he's being patient with you right now that you won't raise your hand. He just loves you. And he's like, it's fine. It's fine. He'll stay quiet about it. And so Gideon now has been fully assured by God, you are my man to lead Israel and fight this big battle. 
So it's now time to fight. It's now time for the big battle. You do know you can kick the can down the road, but one day it, it, the time has come, right? It's time to roll, time to go, game time. And here we are today. And as they prepare to fight, Gideon is going to go to the people of Israel. He's going to say, hey, we've got to fight this battle. And in the ancient world, if you were healthy and, and you could stand and walk around, you had to go fight. And so 32,000 Israelite men show up and they're going to go fight. Now, they're not military guys, okay? They showed up with their, you know, their bird guns, their 20 gauges with bird shot. And I'm just kidding. They didn't have shotguns during that time. Uh, but see, the jokes, the joke, they're, 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 they're flying over us right now. I get it. You're tired. But here's the deal. They weren't prepared. They weren't prepared. They didn't have the weaponry Midian had. But there's 32,000 of them. That's a big army. That's a lot of guys. So he's got this big army, but now Midian's got a much larger army, and they've got weapons, okay? And, and when they get there, God's going to do some things that are going to surprise us. Here we go, Judges 7, 1 through 3. Then Jerubel, that is Gideon. By the way, Gideon's gotten a new name. God's given him a new name, Jerubel. You know what Jerubel means? Bell killer. How about that? Like, God gives us new names. He did it with Jacob back in... Genesis, you know the word Jacob, when Jacob got his name, Jacob in the Hebrew meant deceiver. Have you ever met someone and you thought, your parents were not kind to you to give you that name? Have you ever met someone like that and you thought, now why would they do that? Why? You know, uh, that would have been Jacob. When Jacob meets God in the deserts, when they wrestle all night long, that famous story, God looks at Jacob and he says, you're no longer Jacob, you are now Israel. That's where we get that word. He renames Jacob. And if you fast forward, you go to the New Testament, you got this fisherman that meets Jesus. His name's Simon. Jesus says, you're going to be a fisher of men. And then one day Jesus looks at him and says, I'm not calling you Simon anymore. I got a new name for you. Peter. Peter Petros. Rock. Peter did not think that of himself. Jesus saw things in him he didn't see in himself. And Jesus said, this is, who, this is who I say you are. I got a new story I'm writing with you. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God does that in our lives as well. In the gospel, he looks at sinners and says, nope, you're a saint. He looks at orphans and he says, nope, you're a child. That's good news. This is how God works. He doesn't change. This is who he is. So, Jerubel, Gideon. And all the people, how many? There's 32,000. We're with him. They rose early. They encamped beside the spring of Herod. Now you get the picture. I want you to get the geography. They're, they got their camps, 32,000. That's a massive group of people. That's a lot of folks, okay? That's like if you put Daphne and Fairhope together, okay? You're getting around that range. A lot of folks there. And they're by a creek, by a little river. There's water there, okay? And north of them is where the Midianites are. They've got their big, massive army with all of its gear. They're right there, just north of them. Okay, by the hill Moreh in the valley. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, this is going to surprise you. You're going to see that God's math does not always make sense. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. This probably surprised Gideon. Then 22,000 of the people returned and only 10,000 remained. That is not a good way to start. 
Now let's talk about what's going on here. First of all, God is at work, okay? And what he's going to begin to do is he's going to apply what I'm going to call the sponge principle, okay? Have you ever heard of the sponge principle? It's like this. My, my son and I, we've got this, this little kind of uh, passion project of ours. My oldest son and I have always, I grew up loving classic old Mustangs and then my oldest son kind of fell in love with them. So where did we get one last year? This old 1965 Mustang. And, th- and here's the deal. You don't run one of those through a car wash, right? You don't do that. You get out there with a sponge and a bucket and you take care of that thing. And so it's been real fun for he and I to do that together. And so you get the bucket and we got this big sponge, right? And you can hold that sponge and it looks like there's nothing in it until you squeeze it, right? And here's the sponge principle. You squeeze that sponge, and what's in the sponge will come out. If you want to expose what's really in the sponge, just apply pressure. And when the pressure is applied, what's inside is going to do what? It's coming out. What's hidden is suddenly exposed. And I'm always amazed at what can be inside of that sponge when you squeeze it hard enough. Here's what's happening. Gideon thinks that these 32,000 guys are ready to fight. He thinks he's got an army. But God knows things Gideon doesn't know. God knows their hearts. And by the way, he knows your heart. You know the Bible says there is nothing more deceitful than the human heart. Above all things, the human heart can be deceitful. Only God, the Bible says, can read the human heart. Here's news for you. You don't even know your own heart as well as you think you do. How many of you, let me prove it to you, have you ever said something and thought, where did that come from? It got you. I'll tell you who's never said, where did that come from when you said something? You're God. He's like, I know where it came from. See, God can see what's in the sponge. And what he does in our lives, for our good, by the way, is he applies pressure. And when he applies the pressure, what's in comes out. And so he applies the first pressure to Israel's 32,000-man army. He looks at Gideon and he says, get in front of those guys and say to them, if you're scared, say you're scared, basically. He says, tell them they can go if they want to go. And I'm sure Gideon thought, okay, a few of them will leave. 22, a small city left. They weren't ready to fight. And see, what God knew is they weren't with him. They weren't going to help him. As soon as the battle got hot, they were running anyway. They were in the way. And so God applied the first measure of pressure, and all of this came out of those guys. Now, God's doing another thing, though. He's proving to Israel, while he reveals their character, he's also wanting the army to get smaller. That doesn't make sense. If I'm fighting an army bigger and badder and better equipped than I am, I need as many men as I can. Is that right? But God's math does not work like your math. And God says to him, I need you to have a smaller army, and here's why. Because if Israel thinks they won this on their own, they will boast over me. In other words, they'll think that they are self-reliant. Watch this. You're never too small to be used by God's hand, but you can be too big in your own mind. Don't ever forget that. One of the worst things that can happen to a believer is to think that you're self-reliant. Self-reliance is not good for your Christianity. In fact, watch this. Self-reliance does two things. You may have not realized it. If you think that it's on you, that you're pulling life off, that you're fighting your battles, then two things happen. Number one, you become prideful if you win a battle. If 
you lose a battle, you become unbelievably destroyed because it was yours. It was your victory and your loss. But here's how you will end up living your life perpetually if you try to be self-reliant as a Christian. You will be worried and anxious and fearful and, and all of those things because it's on you. If you're self-reliant, then when you fight your inevitable battles in your life, who is the pressure on? Help me out. It's on you. You live under constant pressure because you're pulling it off. But God is trying to teach Israel and he wants to teach you that you can fight your battles leaning into his strength and that means the pressure's not on you, it's on him. That's really good news today. And so God's looking at Gideon and he's like, I'm about to teach you and all of Israel a lesson that I fight your battles for you. And by the way, he's like, you're not winning this one anyway. If you had 150,000 men, you got a bunch of pitchforks. You're not winning this thing. Hello, that's a real army. Midian's got weapons, they're military, they're trained to fight. You got Farmer Joe and Huckleberry Finn on your side, buddy. You're gonna roll down, they got chariots made out of iron, you're coming down the hill with donkeys and a bunch of sticks. Some of y'all got slingshots, the slingshot cavalry. Not gonna happen. So I need you to make the army smaller. So he applies the first bit of pressure And to his surprise, 22,000 people run home. Now watch this. Victories that lead us to self-reliance actually turn into defeats. If you think you're pulling life off on your own, you are inevitably going to find a hill you can't climb and it will destroy you. So God lovingly in our lives, watch this applies pressure to our lives to reveal our pride, to reveal our fears, to reveal our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses so that when we see it, we run to him and go, oh God, I didn't know that was in me. And he helps us with it. We think it's bad. No, no, no. It's a good thing when God applies the pressure. And it's a bad thing if he lets you win battle after battle after battle thinking that you won it. Let me tell you something. As a young kid, I had two things, a big mouth and a quick mind, okay? My grandmother on this Mother's Day weekend, she never let me get away with anything if if she could help it, but she had this thing she would say to me, and I thought as a kid it was a compliment. She would say in her country way, she would say, you could talk the horns off of a billy goat. That's what she would say to me because I had a big mouth, and I thought it was a compliment. And then I became older, and I was like, you were being mean. You weren't being nice at all, Granny, you know what I mean? So as now a 45-year-old pastor, If I'm not careful, I will think that I can do this because I can talk, got a quick mind, I can do this. And you know what God's done for me? And I can tell you from experience, God has a way of applying the pressure to remind us that we can't do anything apart from him. That we cannot run at our own strength, that our fuel tank gets empty way faster than we realize. He can put us in situations that will cook, cook us a little more than we were ready for to show us our desperate need for him, and, and we should be grateful that he does that. This is not God having fun with Gideon. God's not, not up in heaven going, hey, watch this. Let's watch the old boy sweat a little bit. No, that's not how God, God's not playing games with you. He's not dangling carrots in front of us to watch us run. No, he's working like a surgeon in our lives, applying the pressure in the right spots. This is true of, a, of our salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Watch this. 
This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works. And look, here it is. Same thing he said to Gideon. So that no one may boast. As Christians, we are just like the Israelite armies. If we think we've got that much to do with it, we'll brag about it. You know, as humans, we have a propensity to brag. Even people who think they're humble brag about it by saying, I'm the most humble person I know. No, you're not. (laughs) Yeah, just threw that out the window. We live in a state here in the glorious state of Alabama where half the year, one half the state brags to the other half about whatever football team won that game. And what I love is we will will speak as if we played the game ourselves. But the truth is, a group of 18 to 23-year-old men who were working out while you were eating biscuits. They won that game, not you. You did not catch a pass. In fact, if they trotted you out on the field, one tackle would snap you in half. They would take you off the field in a stretcher, right? But we act like it was us, because we love to brag. We'll say things like, boy, we got y'all this year. No, you didn't. You didn't do anything. In fact, wipe your mouth. You still got nacho cheese from what you're eating while you're watching them, right? We brag. And God says to the Gideonite, uh, Gideon and the Midianite army, he says, if I let you win this against Midian, you'll brag about it. So I'm not going, I'm going to make it to where no one has any question who did this. And he'll do the same with us in our salvation. He said, you don't have an ounce of it. Don't you think for a second. And in the South, we tend to think, Especially in our region, we kind of got this, we're the, good, we're the good folks. We vote the right way. We're the good guys. We got the good morals. We're the good folks. We got that little vibe going. You better watch out for that. Jesus says, no man comes to the Father except through me. Paul says, my good works are but filthy rags before the grace of God. The only way we're getting into heaven is through Jesus. So God says, you can't brag. See, God demands the glory for our victories and our salvation. He demands the glory because, watch, this glory is too heavy a weight for humans to carry. So you don't need it. You don't need the glory because only God can handle glory. Humans are called to glorify God, not ourselves, because glory, watch this, glory makes humans proud. Okay? God is due glory. We are not worthy or capable of carrying the weight of glory. So we are to reflect glory to God. And God sets up our lives as believers that way. And watch this. This is really good news. God gets glory and we get joy. The more Christians glorify God, the more joy we get. And the more we point to God, the less pressure is on us. It's the best thing ever. See, if you want the glory, you get the pressure too. If you grab the glory, you get the responsibility too. It's all on you. God's looking at Gideon going, dude, if you'll just trust me, like none of this is on you. Like just just follow me. I get the glory, you get the joy. I get the glory, you get to be a part of the story. Isn't that good news? So you would think now he's down to just 10,000 people against this massive army and all of their weapons. You would think, okay, now it's time to fight. He's like, I don't have a lot of guys, nowhere near what I need, but okay, I guess I'll roll with 10,000. Not so fast. Judges 7, 4 through 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many, to which I'm sure Gideon's thinking, you're kidding, right? This is where you're showing me your sense of humor, dear Lord. 
No, no, he's serious. There's still too many. And what God's going to do now is he's going to apply the next level of pressure to the sponge. Because Gideon thinks now, like he thought about the 32,000, he thinks, well, these 10,000, surely these are the real guys. And they're not. And God is about to reveal the character of men in a very powerful way. And as we look at this, you're going to see that 90, listen, 9,700 men out of the 10,000 are going to fail the test. And only a few are going to pass it. And I want you to ask yourself as we read it, if God squeezes your sponge, which side of this are you going to fall out on? Look what he says. He says, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them. Who's going to test them? Does he say for Gideon to test them? No, why? Because Gideon is not capable of testing them and you're not either. Only God knows human hearts. He says, I'm going to test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, they shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, they shall not go. Okay, verse 5. So he brings the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you will set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, set them aside. Verse 6. The number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. All of the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. Now, I'm sure at this point, Gideon's like, okay, 9,700, those are my guys. <laughs> no. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, and I'll give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go every man to his home. Now, what's going on here? Well, let's, let's dive in. And, and see what's going on. Because what I want you to see here is most people chase comfort. Few people chase victory. Again, let me say that again. Most people, Jesus said there's a, a wide way in life and a narrow way. And most people go the wide way. They go the easy way, the comfortable way, like water running downhill. It's, it's where most people go. Very few people chase actual victory in their lives. Most people just let life happen to them. So let me tell you how this went down. And this is brilliant what God did. Because watch this. These men, God lets them get thirsty. They are in camp. They can see the creek there, but they've not been allowed to drink. And they're thirsty. They're new to this military life. They're hot. They've got armor on that they're unfit for. They're not ready for this. They're carrying weapons. This is not the way they normally live. Midian, they're the military guys, not these guys. And so they get there. They encamp. Now they just watch 22,000 of their buddies go home. And they're still standing there for whatever reason. There's 10,000 of them. And they're thirsty, and God looks at Gideon, and he says, watch this. He says, I'm about to show you who they really are. Because the more vulnerable you are, the more your real character comes out. When you're really thirsty is when it'll say who you really are. Isn't that true? Have you ever been disappointed in yourself when you were in a really tough situation and your true character came out of the sponge? I have. I've squeezed. Life has squeezed me before, and I went, I was hoping I'd do better than that. So that's what's going to happen here. These men don't realize it. They have no idea that a score is being kept on this instance. And that's really true of us. It's really true. When no one's looking is who you really are. When you don't realize you're in a spotlight, that's who you really are. When you're under the gun, that's when you're being squeezed. That's who you are. Not in your best moments. It's here. This is where the fire is burning. This is who you really are. You're being squeezed. And so you've got 10,000 men all equally thirsty, all equally hot, all equally dehydrated. And God says, Gideon, tell them to go drink. 
and then watch them. And they're going to tell you who they are. So what happens? One group goes down to the creek and they look like this. Now let me ask you a question about that guy. Can he fight right now? Can that guy fight? There's a problem with drinking the water the way this group did. The Midianite army is right there. They're right over the hill. They're vicious. They have weapons. At any moment, they can crest the hill coming down towards that creek upon them at any moment. And yet, watch this, out of 10,000 men, 9,700 men do not care about the enemy. They're not worried about the protection of Israel and their own families, not even their own lives, not the glory of God. You know what is of their most concern is what's right in front of them in that moment. That's how they live their lives. They're thirsty right now. They want what they want right now. They feel it. They need it. And, and hey, whatever happens will happen. I'm getting my water. So what they did is they took their armor off, threw their sword down, their spear down, got into the water, got on their knees, water's all over them, and they just put their head down and start drinking as fast as they can. Their eyes aren't on the enemy. Their eyes are not alert. It's just about them finding comfort and relief. It's all about them. 9,700 men are all about them. No purpose, no direction. It's just, I want the next moment to be good. I want to be happy. I want to be comfortable. But there was another group. 300 men, only 300 did this. Now that guy, while 9,700 men run and get in the creek and throw their weapons down and never even think about the enemy and never look up, there was this very elite, small group of men that slowly walk down to the creek and they never take their eye off of the area where the enemy is. They're just as thirsty. The conditions are the same. They never take their armor off. They kneel down and they keep their eyes on the enemy. You want to know why? Because they got families that it's not about them. It's about the glory of God, the good of Israel, their families, their honor, their purpose. They, they're not about just, they're just as thirsty. But they have decided there's something bigger than them. So this is what the Bible says. It says they drank it like a dog. You know how dogs drink? I, I'm not going to demonstrate it for you, but it's with their tongues. Their little tongue, right? It's not how humans drink. But these guys, what they did, it says with their hand, they kept their eye on the enemy and they carefully, do you know how when you're so thirsty, you just want to drink it? But instead, they slowly would pull up a small sip of water and back down they went and they were ready. All 9,700 men are, are, are literally swimming in a creek because they don't care. They don't care. They aren't even thinking about the fact the enemy's right there, but 300 guys say they'd rather die of thirst than let that enemy come over the hill and take their country and their people and their kids and their wives and bring dishonor to their God. And as those men are carefully bringing that water up to their mouths, God looks at Gideon and says, there's your men. There they are. Because God can do more with 300 guys that have purpose and direction and are not self-reliant, but instead are sold out to the cause of God. He can do more with those 300 than he can 9,700 selfish, self-reliant guys who just want to make it about them. God says, give me the 300. I don't need the other guys. And you know what he told Gideon to do? It must have been hard. 
when Gideon walks down and goes, hey, all of you out in the water, hope you enjoyed it. Go home. That's what God told him. He said, go tell them to go home. Go back to your tents. Go back to your TVs. Go back and get your remote and watch ESPN and make you a big platter of nachos. And you will hear the victory cry when 300 of us run Midian off of this hill. You will be sitting there in your tent. And then when we're all old and we're sitting at the Israelite, the Israelite Cracker Barrel in the, in the rocking chairs and our grandkids are sitting around, there's going to be 300 old dudes that will tell this story. And their grandkids will say, Papa, tell me again what happened. And he's going to say, well... There was only 300 of us, and there was like tons of them. And they had big guns and big chariots and all that, but we ran them out of town. Just 300 of us. But 9,700 men never got to tell that story. Why? Because it was all about them. They were thirsty, and they just wanted a drink. Oh, it applies to our lives. What side do we fall on? See, if you're just living life for today... As a parent, maybe you are. You're just like, I just want to get through today. I just want to get through. I just want my kid to make the team. I just want my kid to be popular. I just want, to, I just want us to be happy right now. Man, that's, that's a short-term view, and I fight this battle too. But I, I've got an enemy. See, most people chase comfort. Ephesians 5.15 warns us as Christians that, that this is still true, the same principle. Paul says to Christians, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do you see the bookends? Be careful because the days are evil. Hey, Israel, be careful. Your enemies right there. 9,700 men out of 10,000 jumped in the water like there was no enemy at all. And I see people live this way. We live this way. We live not careful at all. We, we let our kids, we just let life happen to us. As parents, we just let our, just throw our kids to the culture like wolves. Well, it'll turn out. Just going to make sure they got food. Make sure they don't die. It's a low bar in a world that wants to take them out. Our marriages, our marriages are under attack constantly. We, we need to fight for our marriages and be aware and alert. Not scared, not fearful, not anxious, but aware. And have purpose and understand that we, listen, we are to be advancing the kingdom of God just like the Israelites were. And we've been put here in this time and this place to live during this time and in this place to the glory of God. Are we doing that? Or are we just kind of biding our time hoping we're comfortable? And I have to ask myself, if I would have been there on that day, what side would I have been on? In fact, if God applied the same principles to our lives today in this room and at all of our campuses and online, how many people would be sent home? How many people would he look at and go, go home. You're not engaged. You're just living. The cal you're just letting the calendar turn. You're just letting the days come to you. You're not engaged. You're not intentional. I'm convicted by that today. I don't know about you. How many of you would go, I want to be in the 300. How many of you are like, I want to be. Good, I got four people. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to be in that 300. Believers are called to live intentional lives. Not scared, not anxious, not worried, not fearful, but intentional. Those men were just as thirsty as the others. But they held off their self-gratification. And slowly brought the water to their lips. 
so that they were ready. And I'm going to be honest with you, living intentionally is hard. It's easier to just let it come. But God's called us to more. Hasn't he, hasn't he given more and called us to more than that? And can I tell you, the 9,700 missed out. They missed out on the greatest story of their lives. They missed out on so much joy. See, we think, Jesus said this. Jesus said the narrow way that very few people go actually leads to the most joy, the most meaning, the most purpose. That's where it leads. And so, the intentional, narrow life leads to the most joy, the most purpose. So in Judges 7 and 8, it says, So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but he retained the 300. That's tough, isn't it? It's like, you go home, you go home, you go home. But the 300 stayed, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. They're right there. The battle's going to take place next week. And we'll see it. It's beautiful. This may be my favorite part of the story, though. The prep for the battle. How 32,000 men became 300. And I want to be a part of the 300. I want to live the way they did. I want you to live the way they did. Ordinary people become a part of extraordinary things when we operate in faith rather than our own strength. And in closing today, here's how I would ask you to apply what we've read to your own life. If you're like me, the difference between me and where I want to be sometimes is the difference between those 300 men and those 9,700. How many of you will agree with me that sometimes you're like the 9,700? Can, can we all be honest? Yeah. What would it take for you to move from one group to the other? What would it take for you to make your life more intentional to the glory of God? What would it take for you to live like those guys did? Alert, purposeful, committed? What would it take to move from this big group to this little group? What would that require? Jesus, thank you for your word today. I pray that you do now what I can't do as a communicator. Drive it down into our hearts. Change us from the inside out for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.